Welcome to Studs Cast. It is uh, Saturday, the 3rd of February, 2024, and it is, uh, what's the time? It's time, Rue. 8.07 in the morning, and the uh, sun is out, but only just, it's still sort of semi-dark. And for the first time in a while, the sky is overcast, and the uh, wind is blowing. So I've got the muffler on the microphone, uh, just in case that you know the wind starts blowing into the mic and causing a noise. Uh, so it's not raining, <laughs> and I wish it would, <laughs> because hey, don't. Rooney's with me, and uh, he's still on the leash because we're not quite uh, into the area yet where I can let him go. Um, but I wish it would rain because, uh, much as uh, we all enjoy the sunshine, we've had uh, since I think about the 10th of November, we've had water restrictions, and I'll talk about that in the main body. But yeah, the sky is looking sort of swirling. You know, that sort of type of sky. It's not complete cloud cover, but there is plenty of cloud and it's moving fast through the sky. And uh, bits of the cloud are very dark. That could be because it's only just getting daylight. And there are some clear patches where the blue is already shining through. So got a feeling it's not going to rain at all today. Anyway, thank you for joining us on our... Uh, Second podcast of 2024, and um, well, uh, Rooney and I are actually we're on our own, aren't we, Roo? Until Monday, we're, we're a little bit discombobulated, aren't we, Rooney? Because Christine's gone to England, so it's just us two. <laughs> we're taking care of each other. He is following me like a magnet. Attracts iron filings. <laughs> Rooney and I, we are, we are one unit, aren't we? Wherever I walk in the house, he follows me. Even if I just, you know, go into the bathroom or into the kitchen, gets up and follows me in there, <laughs> waits until I come out. <laughs> I think he's having separation anxiety from Christina. But don't worry, Rue. I'm not going to leave you. So anyway, sorry to <laughs> drag out the introduction. Thank you for joining us, and uh, off we go. Well, you, well, you might be able to hear a few birds in the trees above me. Can you hear that? Little serins with their speed talk. <laughs> yeah, well, hopefully we'll come across quite a few. The other thing you might be able to hear, which uh, is quite um, disturbing, is the sound of the, uh, the hammer drill. Yeah, I was surprised, I stepped out of the house, it was only oh, just, uh, just before eight this morning. And I could hear that hammer drill thump, 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 thumping. 
I don't know if you're getting that in the background, I can hear it. And uh, I think what it is, in the sort of the urbanization that's being built, um, slightly further down the hill from us, they are doing what I'm told is a geological survey. In other words, they're hammering a drill down into the ground to see where it hits sort of solid rock, <clears throat> where they can start to build a foundation for their next building project or a block of apartments that they're going to put up. It's, uh, it's relentless, the scale of building activity. And uh, you wonder, you know, when's it going to finish? And I think what you have to admit to yourself is it's not. <laughs> the, uh, I was reading a, actually a, a book called Ghosts of Spain. Uh, or I am reading a book called Ghosts of Spain. Uh, very kindly bought for me by uh, Carol Fox. Um, I think it was for my birthday. Was it Christmas? Anyway, I got into it. And it goes back to the sort of 1950s. Well, it goes back to, you know, before that. But uh, um, just, he, he, what's his name? Giles Neblet, I think he's called. Um, who was a Guardian correspondent for... Hello, Lenny. <laughs> That's Lenny. Oh, there's no Archie anymore. For those of you who've been following my podcast for a while, you might recognise Lenny as the uh, German shepherd that barks at us every time we walk past. And he used to have a buddy called Archie. But Archie, the little white pug dog, I'm afraid, <laughs> has gone to the place where all good doggies go. <laughs> and... He's, he's departed this, this world, hasn't he, Rue? Rue wasn't keen on Archie. <laughs> God, he was crazy. Yapper. But anyway, I digress. Yeah, so um, this stretch of coastline, the Costa del Sol, used to be avoided by tourists. Well, actually, they weren't even called tourists. That was a, apparently a phrase that came in from, from Switzerland. Um, they were called um, veraneras. <laughs> in other words, the people who used to uh, spend some summer weeks here. You know, the sort of well-to-do people from Madrid and Barcelona used to, one or two of them would have, you know, properties down here and spend some summer weeks with their families here. But that was it. And then, and then it all started to change. I'm just going to let Rooney go here. Hold on. There you go, Rooney. You're free. All right, he's off the leash now. Um, Verano being the uh, Spanish word for summer. Anyway, of course, you know, through the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, 2010s and 20. Uh, you know, the developers have, have have come here and spotted the opportunity to build properties and sell them to, well, frankly, non-Spanish uh, who want to uh, come down here and own a place and spend their holidays here. So not just the well healed from uh, Spain, but the perhaps more middle class people 
from all over Europe. Um, can afford to be here now, and, and good, because, you know, the world is supposed to be for all of us to live in. <laughs> but it has meant, you know, a relentless march of construction. And uh, you would have thought that up here in the mountains, we're a good seven kilometers away from the coastline here, you would have thought that this area wouldn't be so appealing to constructors and developers because you would have thought, well, it's too far away, isn't it? No. Roads have got better, cars have got faster. You know, transportation links have, have become more efficient and uh, they've carved out all kinds of ways to access the, uh, the mountains. And the building techniques have improved, so, you know, you can build a property or a block of flats or whatever, or pretty much anywhere now, and they do. So that's what that jackhammer noise is. It's the latest development going up. Can't see it from, from where we are, but you can hear it. You can hear it when they're doing that, uh, that sort of geological survey prospecting thing. Yeah, so wherever you live, I don't know where you you're listening from um, are you in an area where you know it's popular amongst people from out of town or out of country or are you in the rural folds of, of some agricultural part of the world where would the world hardly change at all well yeah here nature has to sort of move over a little bit but there's plenty of nature. So, yeah, when we go sort of on the sort of second leg of this podcast, you'll probably hear that, that jackhammer again, but right now we can't hear it, which is good. <clears throat> so, uh, I was going to tell you about, um, well, the weather. <laughs> Sounds boring, doesn't it? But, but no, um, what I mean by that is unusual weather so we, we've been having um, a prolonged dry spell so it hasn't rained much in the last well 12 months more than that 24 months really it hasn't rained much so the wells are drying up and the reservoirs are drying up and the, you know the water reserves are diminished to the point now where the authorities are getting concerned about it and bringing in some restrictions so I think since early November uh, we've had a you know instruction from the authorities <clears throat> not to use water um, for anything except human consumption and domestic use so you can't water plants and, and wash down your terraces and, and clean your cars and, and things like that so you know, we all thought, well, it was the beginning of November, we thought, yeah, well, you know, it's going to rain soon, so this isn't going to last long, but it, it, it hasn't. I mean, I think it's probably rained two or three days and, and not particularly hard since then. Not nearly enough to refill the uh, water reserves that we need. And the problem is, you know, the population has, has quintupled, or more than that, I don't know. Uh, the, the, the population is, is, is much bigger than it was. <clears throat> even 20, 30 years ago in this part of the world. So, you know, water consumption or human water consumption shot up and precipitation 
has dried up. That's a bad combo. Um, so I suppose the people in charge need to think about what they're going to do about that. Because they're, they're allowing all this construction. Because, quite frankly, it's lucrative to the local authorities who grant these permits and raise taxes on these properties and construction companies. Um, it's very lucrative. I mean, some of them, it's like 50, 60 percent of their of their income comes from that. So, uh, you know, it's unfortunate, but they are motivated. <laughs> I'm just smiling because I'm up in the valleys now and <clears throat> up here there are, there are sort of very nice Andalusian-style villas dotted around the uh, the mountainside. <laughs> Somebody who, you know, has one of these, and uh, he or she, I can't see because I'm too far away, <laughs> is uh, standing on their balcony, <laughs> looking out at the, <laughs> the view, which is magnificent, and um, unaware of the fact that Rooney and I <laughs> can see them. <laughs> Well, I won't go into the detail, <clears throat> but suffice it to say, they're not quite as isolated as they think they are. <laughs> hey, Rue? <laughs> anyway, uh, moving on. Um, yeah, so, so it's, a, it's a sort of a vicious circle, isn't it? Because um, those that have the authority to grant uh, developers permits to develop are very motivated to, to do that because of the income supply <clears throat> but they're the same people who uh, need to think about how they're going to maintain the water supply <laughs> to all these new properties and they're not doing that I'm getting political aren't I I'm getting into local politics I've been here too long but they're not building the dams that they need to hold the water in reservoirs um, during the, the seasons when, when you know it's not raining, like now. Excuse me. So, yeah, well that's something to think about. <laughs> there have been some terribly, terribly corrupt mayors. And the mayor of um, Marbella in the 90s, I think, a guy called Hazel Heel. He went to prison <laughs> in the end. <laughs> he was a thug and an absolute crook. Um, and uh, a, a sort of um, Donald Trump style politician. In other words, a bit of a media personality. An absolute crook. Um, but somehow got away with it by sort of brazen, barefaced approach to his, his, uh, <clears throat> his illegal activities, his thuggery. And, um, and, and his sprinkling of, of, of generosity amongst the sort of the, the needy. <laughs> There's a few, you know, big man politicians reappearing like that now, aren't there? All over the world. Oh. Let's not get into that. But yeah, um, so the impact of the combination of the, of the sort of lack of rain and um, huge increase in, in population, just to put it simply, is taking its toll. And uh, yeah, the village, the beautiful sort of 
gardens of the village that I live in. Well, <coughs> talking about politics, I, I am, as you might know, I'm the president of our, of our community in our village. So, you know, I'm supposed to be doing th things about it as well. And in microcosm, I am. Because... <coughs> We don't have, you know, we can't use the uh, hose pipes now. This is a fine if you use any hose pipes, it's a hefty one. So, you know, what, what we're going to have to do is buy water tanks, you know, large tanks, which we will then buy the water, because you can buy water and bring it in from outside, um, so that we can water our gardens and keep our flowers, you know, growing and, and flowering and keeping the village looking pretty. But God, you know, we're having to <clears throat> we're having to take our own action in the face of the larger authorities not taking any action, which isn't right. But uh, there you go. And, and on, a, on an even more micro scale, you know, I'm thinking of buying a water tank for my own property. I mean, a big water tank for my own property, so that we can make it through the days when there's no, uh, you know, when the water's cut off. Which it will, it will come. Now, can you hear that little birdie up in the tree? <laughs> like croaking. Um, but yeah, so the climate. Oh, now I can see that thing that's making the noise. Gosh, it's a huge great digger. Uh, you can probably hear it in a minute. Um, so, yes, let's, let's think about, well, the climate and how it's changing. Well, is it changing or isn't it changing? <laughs> there are those still who deny that the, that the climate change is really anything to do with mankind. It's just nature. <laughs> well, I don't have the scientific um, uh, training or knowledge to be able to go into much detail on that. But what I can tell you or, or, or retell you is, is things that I've been learning by reading about uh, uh, the climate um, in The Economist, of course. Um, and I was reading about, well, the impact of, of, of you know, the increased average and, and, and local temperatures. And it is definitely getting warmer <clears throat> um, because record well it's wine growing that is, is what I'm referring to and, and actually the increase in temperature has a positive in, impact on wine growing certainly around Europe um, I'm gonna go the other way because I think we're gonna run into that power drill again it is unfortunate. Gosh, they're taking the whole top off that mountain. Yeah, just to digress slightly again, I can now see, it, it's a bit like, it reminds me of what you see in, on TV in the Amazonian rainforests where they just clear huge chunks of natural land, natural forest and beauty. Well, exactly the same going on here. There's, you probably hear it creaking and squeaking there's an enormous caterpillar digger and they've sliced off the top of, of a mountain that I'm well yeah top of a mountain that I'm looking at and flattening it 
so there's no vegetation. That's probably a 20-acre plot of land, and they've cleared absolutely everything that was growing on it, so it's just a mound of dirt now. And they're flattening the top of it. Such a shame. And so the, the landscape and the horizon is going to look different. It's, just, it's going to be buildings and apartments as opposed to beautiful wood and forest. Oh, what a pity. Yeah. Well, the thing is, there's, there's some hypocrisy here because I live, live in the mountains and where I live was once woodland and forest. So, you know, I, I feel slightly uncomfortable <laughs> saying too much about it. But, but you know, hmm. I think there's a point at which... Plus, our, our, our village is built into the hill, not on top of the hill. So you're not spoiling the horizon and, and the, you know, the, the, the way the, uh, the earth meets the, meets the sky. Gosh, it's frightening. You know, you can, can you hear that now? It's in the distance, but it's probably from here. It's probably about half a mile away. You can see it pretty well. Well, there's no point going on about it. I'm not going to be able to stop it by doing this podcast. Just commenting. Um, gosh, it's quite chilly. <laughs> I haven't got my cap on. Should have done. Um, so, yeah, I wanted to tell you about uh, the impact of climate change on wine growing in Europe. Um, well... Surprisingly, it's one good news story, if you like wine, which I do. Um, it's one good news story because the impact is, or has been, um, since the 1980s, that it is now possible to grow wine in regions where it was not possible to grow wine before. Um, there's something I've read about called GDD, growing growers or growing degree days, which I'm not quite sure how to calculate it, what the actual number means, but I think it's a sort of a sum of the average temperatures. Um, hey, come on, Rue, don't, don't eat that. Uh, through the sort of uh, the main growing season, I think it's, what is it, April to October or something. Um, when you, you know you're growing your your grapes, and uh, the, the GDDs or growing degree days, um, uh, uh, what I was reading was over the decade of the 1980s, in <clears throat> um, in Bordeaux, for instance, typical you know grow, wine growers region, was something like 1,200 GDD. I can't really explain what that means, but it's a number. It's it's a benchmark. So if Bordeaux um, was experiencing 1,200 GDD in the decade of the 1980s, um, Essex in in England um, was getting about 800. So that's not enough, apparently, to grow wine. But... um, 
that's changed. That's changed quite a lot. And now, um, in the sort of 20, I suppose it must be the 2010s decade, um, the GDD in Essex matches Bordeaux, almost. So I think they, they, they got like 1,150 GDD. Bordeaux's got like 1,200. Well, Bordeaux's gone up as well. But um, what that means is that um, there are many, many places, places in Europe that would have not been suitable for growing wine that are now. And so there's a wine called <laughs> Danbury Ridge, which is... <laughs> It is grown in the Essex vineyards. It sounds wrong, doesn't it? The Essex vineyards. <laughs> what are they growing there? Their Pinot Noirs and, and their, you know, their, their wine grapes and getting rave reviews. I mean, can you believe it? But English wine, you know, was always rather sort of frowned upon. Um, but now not. No. Danbury Ridge, I've never tried it, but if you're in the UK, maybe see if you can get hold of a bottle, see what it's like. Um, so that's interesting, and, and, and more so because um, it's not just, you know, new wine regions that are appearing, that's part of it, um, but also the existing wine regions. Now, what's the impact on them, or those? Well, from what I've been reading, um, it, it, it used to be sort of commonly held, a commonly held belief that the ideal temperatures um, for, you know, growing grapes is somewhere between 10 and 20 um, degrees Celsius. Um, but that's not no longer the, the sort of the, the, on the upper side that's no longer the belief to be the limit because what they are sort of reporting is that wine grapes are quite resilient to high temperature and um, you can you know the, gra the grapes don't seem to suffer um, if it gets really hot, like, like 40 degrees, apparently the, the vines shut down. They don't die, they just shut down. And they wait until the temperatures drop again. But what you're looking for, I mean, particularly with sunshine and, and warmth, is in wine, is um, the increased sort of sugar content in, in the grape. Um, and, and, and apparently, I mean, I'm sound like, sounding like a wine buff now. I really don't know that much about it, apart from what I've read. <clears throat> this is not my personal experience. But apparently, too little sugar, and, and, and the wine tastes sort of sour and, 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 you know, not too good. Too much sugar, and it's sort of syrupy and, and boozy and, 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 you know, too strong. <clears throat> because obviously the sugar turns to alcohol. But... Um, but but there is this kind of like sweet spot, this <laughs> is pardon the pun, but um, where you're getting just the right amount of, uh, uh, of sugar to make very good wines. You know, so it's not just like, you know, when I grew up, the, the, the crops, you know, the year <clears throat> would be recorded as being phenomenally good for, for, for wine. You know, so the wine's good for, for, for putting down for, for a long time. 
um, I don't know what it was, 59, 1959, 1961, 65, I think were three particularly good years for, for wine crops, you know, and those wines, you know, had the ideal amount of sugar content or to, 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 to lay down and be good for, for long term. Other wines, you know, you, you can't keep it for that long. <clears throat> it's not just about keeping it, it's just the, the, the flavour of it as well. But anyway... Oh, Rooney's looking. Someone's coming through a gate. Um, you're going to go see who that is, Roo? He's such a friendly dog. He's wagging his tail and staring at this lady who's coming through the gate. He's no idea who she is. <laughs> yeah, so, um, so... So that's a little bit about um, the impact of climate change on one particular aspect of human life. And, uh, well, it's nice to have a good news story, isn't it? I mean, I, mean, I know climate change is not a good thing uh, in the round, but when you look at sort of specific things, it's quite good news to hear that um, there is one, <laughs> one human activity that's benefiting. Well, I mean, it's not just one human activity. I mean, the whole migration of northern European people to the south of Europe is economically I suppose having a tremendously positive impact on the southern parts of Europe <clears throat> but that's a different thing so yeah so you wine drinkers out there <laughs> go, and, go and grab yourself a bottle of uh, what did they call it Danbury Ridge <laughs> or something like that see what you think I ha I'm going to do it, see if I can find one. Um, so this is supposed to be a nature podcast. Well, that's, I suppose you could, you could sort of broad, broadly interpret that as being something about nature. <laughs> well, is, that, is that okay? Will that do as a nature theme <laughs> to have been discussing, Hiro? He doesn't care, do you, <laughs> oh, so I got out of the wind a little bit there. I don't know if you're getting the wind, but on this particular side of the mountain, oh, it's nice and peaceful. Now I'm looking that now down at the coast. Gosh, you know, when I think back 30, 40 years ago, yeah, I'm now looking at a sort of a, a mixed landscape of of urbanisations, woodland. Oh gosh, cleared mountain. They're making way for another urbanisation over there. And then down to the sea. The sea is kind of not really too visible today because it's cloudy over the sea. It's not cloudy here. Can you hear the... Can you hear the birds? So we do still have plenty of woodland and forest to enjoy. But... Uh, you know, and, and when you go further inland, you know, you, you come across the vastness of the, of the mountain ranges here. <clears throat> and you think to yourself, well, yeah, um, natural habitat of the, uh, you know, the wildlife here is, is being compromised. But if they can move sort of further into the mountains, there's plenty more. There's something, ooh, there's cars on the Ronda Road probably being picked up on the microphone there's something up in the 
mountain to my left is scratching away. Can't see what it is. Might be a wild pig. Yeah, there's a tremendous amount of um, fruit on the orange trees right now. And, uh, oh, I'm going to have one this morning, actually, but my goodness me, there's, uh, in the village, there's a lovely couple, Bjorn and Maritza, uh, Svala, they're from Sweden, and they've got an orange tree growing in their garden, <clears throat> and it overhangs their garden wall, and the, oli the or olives, sorry, the oranges drop onto the street, because <laughs> we're on a hill, they roll down the hill, and uh, one of... One of the people who live below them asked me in my capacity as president would it be okay to go and pick their oranges listen to these birdies here squeaky anyway so uh, I said well I better ask the owner so I sent them a, a whatsapp this is the age of the whatsapp isn't it, it used to be I sent them a, a letter <laughs> I've seen all this through my lifetime then it was a fax and then it was an email, then it was a text, and now it's a WhatsApp. <laughs> so I sent them a WhatsApp, hey Rue, we're going to go down here. And, and I asked, and they said, of course, yeah, help yourself. In fact, they asked one of the gardeners, Jose Maria, this, this way, Jose Maria, this way, Rue, uh, to go and pick them. And he did. And then he sent me a WhatsApp for Jose Maria. <laughs> And he said, hey, I've picked the uh, oranges off the tree, who wants them? So I said, oh, that you didn't have to do that. He was going to pick them himself, but as you have, yeah. I told him where the house was. He said, all right, I'll leave them outside his house. A groaning great bagful. There's only two people. I said, well, I don't think they're going to be able to eat that many. They're only here for another week. <laughs> so, uh, oh, I should have said that Bjorn and Maritza are not here. They're in, the, in Sweden right now. So the oranges are growing and no one's picking them. That, that, was, that was the thrust of why I was being asked that. Um, anyway, so I said to Jose Maria, oh, perhaps, you know, I, I could have a few of those oranges. <laughs> Not meaning to be selfish or anything, just, you know, just two or three is all I wanted. So he says, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll get you some. So, and I was just walking Rooney at the time. It was my second attempt to take Rooney out for a walk. And he comes running up to me with a bag of oranges, about sort of like 10 oranges in the bag. And he said, here, these are for you. Oh, I said, oh, well, thank you. <laughs> anyway, I, there was too many for me. So I put half of them in a bag and put them on my neighbor's door. And, but yesterday morning, I tried, uh, I tried one, I squeezed it for the juice, to have an orange juice. And my God, it's, uh, it's so sweet. The stuff that you, buy in the supermarkets it's slightly sour and acidic this is not this is so sweet and un you know untouched by chemicals and really good I mean it's so natural I don't these, they don't last as long and all that sort of stuff so they, they haven't got been fiddled with <clears throat> but the positive side is when, when you get them and they're you know fresh they are absolutely beautiful I wish I wish I could give you one of these oranges and you'd experience it for yourself because it's like a different fruit you know the oranges you buy in the supermarket yes of course we all recognize the the taste of an orange but when you taste this it's like going back in time and thinking this is what i remember from my childhood this is what an orange used to taste like it's funny isn't it how 
how we become gradually sort of conditioned to accept different flavors from things that didn't used to taste that way. <laughs> this is like a taste, taste cast, isn't it? With wine and oranges. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, if you are lucky enough to have a, a home with, in a climate where you can grow fruit trees. Well, you've got to get the right variety of tree. I, d I don't know, there are many different varieties of orange trees. I, for instance, I was up in the mountain village of Benavis two, three weeks ago, I was out hiking and they were, went into the village and they've got orange trees all over the place. And I picked one, because I was thirsty. I picked one <clears throat> and I opened it up and tried to eat it. God, it was like eating a lemon. It was so bitter and horrible. And that's not because it's, it's been fiddled with by farming. It's because it was a different variety of orange. Only for show. <laughs> not, not to be eaten. <laughs> so yeah, you got to sort of, if you're going to grow your own orange tree, look into the varieties that grow the sweetest. I wish I could tell you. I can't. <clears throat> oh, there's a seren just above me. He's in a pine, oh, I can see him. He's in a pine tree. Oh, the other thing on a nature theme. Now, not these trees, but there's a neighbor around the corner and I don't think he knows. I can actually see this guy. He's singing away, singing his heart out up there. Beautiful little chap. It's a seren. They look a little bit like budgerigars. <laughs> Bright yellow. Ah, oh. yeah, he's been drowned out in sound by that power drill. <clears throat> Can you hear that? Never mind. Oh gosh, it's so distracting. And I'm surprised it's Saturday morning, first thing. You know, what about the people trying to lie in on a Saturday morning? <sighs> um, so we've got the, the soundscape is a mixture of serins and power drills. But yeah, I was going to tell you about the uh, pine tree of the neighbour. He's a very nice uh, Irish guy. Got a beautiful house. And he's only recently moved in, so he probably doesn't know yet, but we have a nasty um, stinging caterpillar uh, that comes down from the trees this year. It turns into some kind of a moth. But at this phase, and it's pupation, it's a, it's a caterpillar. Well, when it comes out of the tree it is. And they build these kind of like nests up in the trees. And they're sort of covered in cobwebs. And uh, then out of these nests, they come down and they join sort of head to tail with each other. They come down the tree and they sort of march around and you see them on the ground. <clears throat> and they can fire some poisonous little darts which cause a nasty allergic reaction. And, and uh, if, you, if your dog happens to sort of get stung in the tongue, tongue swells up and they can't breathe, they're very serious. Anyway, um, this chap, you can treat your pine trees against them, you know, you can sort of uh, do things, they've had these sort of traps that collect them. But anyway, um, Michael, I don't think he knows about it, I've got to tell him, because he's got about whew, 10 of these nests in his tree. I saw them yesterday as I was walking around and uh, they're very bad for humans too, you know. So I'm going to have to, when I next see him, say, God, you better watch out for those caterpillars. Because, you know, those will, uh, well, you know, 
there was a horrible story that somebody told me about two young children, you know, who didn't realise. And they were sort of picking these caterpillars up and they were firing their darts into them and then both children were found dead in the garden because they'd had so many stings. Ooh, makes you shudder, doesn't it? So nature can be cruel too. <laughs> anyway, I'm just going to pause for one second. Anyway, we're coming back into the village now, so I think we should probably close down and go into the, uh, into the closing section. Well, here we are, back in the village after, what is it, 30, 40 minutes of very pleasant walk. Well, when I started off, I said that it was sort of dark sky and <clears throat> menacing, but it isn't now. What keeps happening here? You know, the sun comes up and really, just, just hold on, let's go put this lead back on. Oh, hang on, didn't get it. There we go. <clears throat> yeah, there's lots more blue in the sky. There's a half moon, still visible but lots more blue in the sky. I think it's going to be another hot day. So, uh, come on. Found something to chew on, have you? Um, so I wonder what it's like in your part of the world. <laughs> Probably either colder than it usually is or hotter than it usually is. <laughs> well enough on climate but thank you for joining us on this walk listening to this podcast and uh Rooney and I are very grateful Rooney's <laughs> whenever Rooney's happy which he is right now he trots along and his ears which are like two little velvet um cloths <laughs> they bounce in time with his front front paws hitting the ground <laughs> it's very cute Oh, that's a happy Roo, I can always tell. Yeah, he's heard me mention his name, he just looked round to say, what? <laughs> anyway, thank you very much for joining, and uh, we'll talk again soon. <laughs> <laughs>